What's up, guys? It's Bradley with the Insurance Guys Podcast. Hey, look, recently I actually got two more days out of my month. If you know me and you know how tight my schedule is, me getting two more days is huge. And I'm going to tell you how I did that. I did that with CoverDesk. Guys, this is not a testimonial, even though they are a sponsor. It's not a testimonial. It's not a made-up story. This is a real-life story. Me as a new agency owner, obviously, my business organization chart, I fill 80% of the seats, right? Well, one of the things that I do because I wanted to make sure that my people get paid right is I reconcile all my commission statements for all my carriers. And literally, guys, when it comes around payroll time, it takes two whole days for me to reconcile for the agency and reconcile for my agents. And I recently trained my cover desk virtual assistant on how to reconcile the agency commissions for my management system, which I'll say is not a popular management system. It's a newer management system. And I was able to train her how to do that. Literally, guys and gals, it bought me two extra days in the month. I could get two more days of production, get two more days with my family. Think about what you could get from two days. That's what this service from CoverDesk has provided me. Give CoverDesk a call or head over to www.coverdesk.com. Thanks. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for I Protect Insurance and Financial Services based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome. He is a six foot three sophomore from Sarah Land, Alabama, parade first team All-American rivals, five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? I'm here with an in-studio guest, and you're not here. Boo! I'm so sorry I'm not there today, guys. We've got a Category 12 hurricane sitting in the Gulf of Mexico. Bradley wanted me down there. Here's my response. Bradley, when the truck wheels pull out of my driveway, heading south towards Mobile, Jim Cantori will simultaneously get on the Weather Channel and say that this has never happened in the history of hurricanes, but this hurricane has changed directions and is heading directly towards Mobile. That's what will happen. Scott's been picking at me all week saying, oh, you're about to deal with 800 claims and this, that, and the other. And uh, in the middle of the day the other, the other day, he sent me this picture, and it's a picture of the storm bypassing Mobile and going up to Huntsville area, and he says, I hate you. <laughs> that's, that's, that's perfect karma. you yeah. got to love that. That's right. I always think perfect these hurricanes karma. need to go towards people who are more deserving. <laughs> I love it. Guys, we have a very special guest on. So our podcast falls into three categories. Agency owners who run a successful agency that can help you tweak some things in your agency to get better and move the ball one step forward to greatness. We have insurance technologies that you didn't know about before you listened to the podcast. And now you get off the podcast and you're like, hell, I didn't know about that. I need to go check that out. The third and final leg of our stool are people outside the industry that we feel like could help you run a better business. These particular podcasts and the guests that we have on right now would probably go across all businesses in the United States of America, especially small to mid-sized companies. If you took a CEO and you let him listen to this podcast today of a business outside of insurance, he would probably be or she would probably be interested in this. 
I love these podcasts, the ones where we get somebody that's maybe a non-traditional insurance guy on the show. So without further ado, I'm about to give him the introduction that he has always deserved. Ladies and gentlemen, he was born, raised, and lives in Mobile, Alabama. He is a graduate of Tulane University, and he is married to the beautiful Lisa. He is an acclaimed author, speaker, and corporate authority on the impact of generational change and its impact on the workplace and marketplace. He also has his own radio show slash podcast called What's Working with Cam Marston. He is the president and owner of Generational Insights. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor to introduce to you the first-time guest on the Insurance Guys podcast, Mr. Cam Marston. How are you, Cam? I am great, and my head is filling this entire room after that introduction. That is the introduction that I've always deserved, and I'm going to take away from this podcast that introduction and play it every morning to wake my children up for school. Hey, they for, need they for, need to know who they live with. For a nominal fee, you know, Scott will will follow you around everywhere in every room you walk in. Be like the jester. Yes, back in the medieval times, and yeah, here, here. Yes, you know, that's worth considering, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, will you wear will you wear the little hat with the bells on it, Scott? The little oh yeah yeah. yeah I'll even wear, I'll even wear the little jester booties with the bells on the back of them. You know, I don't know what we're planning to talk about today, but I already like where we're going with this. <laughs> this is this is solid content I here. I need people following me around, introducing me, wearing jester costumes wherever I go. I think you're on to something it's kind, here. It's kind of like the sea level celebrity paying the paparazzi to follow them. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Not calling you a C-level celebrity. I think you're a you're A-list. Yeah. Well, I'm at the C-suite of the go. A-list. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Cam, I need to apologize to you. We got to talking before the podcast, and I meant to ask you a question. The question was, I typically introduce uh, the person that we have on the show, their, their beautiful wife, and in your case, that's Lisa. And then I typically mention briefly their children. Now, I understand that you have children that are of the age to be in high school. Tell, tell our audience a little bit what about what it's like to have – high school kids in your household. What, what is that like? I have three glorious children. Now, I have a total of four kids, mm. but three of them are glorious. Mm. So, uh, and right. I tell them I love them all, but I can't love them all at the same time, so I rotate. And that's kind of the way I keep my head about me. We've got a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, and 13-year-old twins. The 17 and the 15-year-old are both in high school. The 13-year-old twins are in middle school. They're all, as you can tell, teenagers. And it is a, a emotional, uh, I don't know, skillet, iron skillet in our house at any given moment. You know, They go from picking at each other to doing what we ask to not picking at each other and not doing what we ask in the blink of an eye. And uh, I used to get really upset about this. This is something I'm learning as I grow older. I expect discipline and I expect obedience. And this is the way I was. And now I'm thinking, you know, that really never, that attitude has never gotten me anywhere. I think I'm just going to try to go with the flow as best as I can and learn to stand up mm. and leave the room lots. That's what's helping me. Mm. So that that is helping both your blood pressure 
and your mental state of mind and my relationship time. with those kids that's exactly right yeah now they're i be uh, obviously being very facetious there's very little chance they'll ever hear this but they all are good kids and we see you know it's any parent sees their children and says man that's going to turn into a great kid someday if things don't go off the rails and i don't mess things up and that's the way we look at it right mm. now i understand yeah are all of your children attending the womb of greatness at St. Paul's? <laughs> they are. And my wife is the volleyball coach there. She manages, she's called mm. director of volleyball operations. She's the varsity coach. I am a graduate of St. Paul's mm -hmm. and I sit on the board of trustees at St. Paul's. So the womb of greatness is deep in the right. Marston family. Every dollar that comes Man. through my house somehow gets channeled towards St. Paul's Episcopal School. It is not in my hand nor my wallet very long. <laughs> hey, if I started a GoFundMe account to get you, let's say five to $10,000 to tattoo in old English letters, three inches high, the St. Paul's logo, with the words below it, three inch old English letters, the womb of greatness across your shoulder blades. Would you consider that? I would not consider that. I'm afraid the, uh, you know, I, uh, I love the idea. I don't even have a bumper sticker on my car. I, I tell my kids, Boom. there are very th few things that are permanent in life. There are you, you avoid long-term decisions as much as possible with the exceptions being a mortgage, right. a marriage and children. Tattoos are a long-term right. decision that you've got to be very, very confident about. And it could be that all hell breaks sure. loose at St. Paul's in a year or two, and I'm left with a tattoo. So I avoid long-term decisions wherever possible. I want access, not ownership. So I will get a stenciled, uh, like a henna tattoo on my shoulders, which gives me access, but not ownership. How about that? I'll do that for 5000 I like that. I like how pragmatic and thoughtful you are. That is amazing. Well, that, that, the way you work through that mentally, that was just an, that's that was an amazing feat. Well, I appreciate it. I'm an old man. That's what happens when you get old. Johnny is convulsing and rolling on the ground in laughter outside the studio. <laughs> Either that or he's seizing and when someone needs to call 911. Cam, here's why we brought you on the podcast. I want you to talk to these insurance agents today about something that you are an expert in and that is a discussion about generational change and work and its impact in the workplace, specifically insurance. And before you answer, when you get into this, I want to talk about how that's changed since COVID-19 has come about and what changes can we expect as insurance agents, specifically with millennials, I guess, or it could be anybody, but specifically millennials in the future. All right. Well, that's a broad question, and I can take a broad answer to that. So here's what, let's, let's begin with a description of the work that I do and the research that I do. So we study the demographic trends that shape the workplace and the marketplace. We study the demographic trends that employers are seeing when they have to hire people, that salespeople are seeing when they're trying to sell their goods or services to people older or younger than them. So we gather this information and we put it in front of our clients in any one number of ways. It could be a webinar. It could, we're doing a lot of webinars, as everybody is. It's a webinar, it's a book, it's a seminar, it's a conference, it's a, a workshop. There's many different deliverables that we create. So we organize this stuff, deliver it, and what I like to say is we deliver it with handles, which means I can show you data 
and everybody can rub their chin and scratch their head and say, that's interesting. What does it mean and what do I do? So we work hard on right. transferring the data into action that people can pick up and run with. And that's kind of where our sweet spot is. So the data is available to everybody. There aren't many people out there that turn it into action. That's where we've gotten our traction. So what's going on since, let's say, March? Uh, that's kind of when COVID hit me. That's when my calendar imploded. And we could talk about how everything has changed since then, particularly with the millennials. There have been a number of changes that we've seen in attitudes. And I think the one that may interest this listener group the most is the reflection of attitude around financial services. For most of the millennials, they have begun a, a, a developed a new positive admiration for anything in the financial services profession. They have come out of this. Well, we're not out of it, but they're into it now saying, what is it these people do? How can I learn more about what it is that they do? Because the people that have spent time with them are suffering less than I am today. So one of the things that's come out of it, and this is unique to the millennials, is a positive attitude, which we did not expect to see. Now, there are some that have had a negative outcome, but there are less than half of those that are positive. So that's good. The other thing we're seeing is I think there's going to be a big gap between the haves and have-nots in the millennials defined exclusively by level of education. When you look at unemployment mm. numbers, those that are struggling the most today have the least education. And you could say, well, Cam, hasn't that always been the case? Never before has the gap been this wide. And the COVID economy has widened that gap. So as you're marketing, as you're out there networking, as you're trying to develop leads for your business going forward, the place to go is, you know, and, and this is easy for me to say, you got to figure out where these people are, is where the educated members of this generation congregate. Uh, where do they go? What do they talk about? Where do they network? What are their hobbies, et cetera? Because those are the ones that are likely going to come out of this the best. Everybody's going to be hurt a little bit, but they're going to come out of this the best, number one. Number two, they're going to achieve the most down the road. The third thing that I think is notable is that people that are graduating into a recession struggle for about 10 years to get back to the level that those that graduate outside of a recession uh, do. Let me say that differently. That's kind of confusing. When you graduate into a recession, you're stymied for about 10 years in terms of income, in terms of housing affluence, in other words, the value of your home, what you can afford to buy. And they are, uh, in generations past, they've been called a lost generation, a lost segment of a generation. So as a parent of that, of, uh, of children, and I see them, mine aren't ready to graduate from college yet, but if I were to see them starting to get ready to graduate from college, I would really want to accelerate everything they do so that they don't get lost. And it's an unfair thing, and it's not unique to our time. It's happened over and over and over again, and there's, again, this is what we do. There's the reams of documentation that support it. So what do you need to do? Interestingly enough, everybody that I talk to about this topic is tired of talking about the millennials. And the top of that list are the millennials. Yep. They're tired of hearing about it. And I don't blame them. Gosh knows. I've been talking about them for 20 some odd years. However, as I'm holding this ream of paper, all the data, the most interesting content goes again back to the millennials. What do you do? 
The most educated members of this generation are the ones that are going to succeed not only short-term, but long-term right now. Those that are graduating into this economy right now are going to struggle for at least 10 years to get back to level footing of where they would be had they not graduated in this economy. And what was the first? Oh, the general attitude towards anything financial, anything in the financial industry, and that certainly includes you all, has caught their attention. There's a renewed, not a renewed, there's a new positive energy around what it is that you offer today. And I think, hey, knowing this, how do I prepare? How do I do, what do I do going forward? That was really good. Yeah. Hey, you said something though that resonated with me. And what you said was, and I, I, I need you to follow up on this. You said, if my kids were coming out of college, right now, or, or, you know, into a recession, I would do some things to accelerate that. What did you mean by that? That's a good question. If, if there's an insurance agent and there's probably thousands that are listening to this right now, seriously, I was told hundreds of thousands, college, hundreds of thousands that have kids that are graduating from college in the near term, what can they do to help shore up and make sure those kids aren't going to suffer? And I hate to say suffer, but no, that's the right word. The Struggle, suffer, get set back. Uh, I would push them to find more education opportunities. In other words, this college degree is great, and in normal times, you would be on level footing. You're not on level footing. You need to find new ways to educate yourself. And it doesn't mean stay in school, but it could be new online education formats. It could be new courses or whatever it may be, anything that will continue and further the education that's going to get them to, to the top of the list in a crowded marketplace right now. So any new opportunities to continue learning are more important for those graduates in this time. And I would say anybody graduating this past summer, you know, the summer of 2020, up through one to two years from now, they've got to keep their focus on getting the education because that's the thing that's going to help them accelerate their career. So, and, and if I were to tell my own kids, hey, and I could just hear this conversation. You just graduated from college. You are at a disadvantage due to the economy. You need to keep learning. They would just freak. They don't mm -hmm. like school as it is. Well, some of them don't like school as it is. However, you know, as a, as a parent, I'd say, I, I want you to do this. This is going to be very important. It'll be a tough sell. It'll be a tough sell. But show them the data. Heck, ask them to email me and let me send them the data on what's uh, ahead for them if they don't. Uh, continue their education. So that's what I meant by accelerate themselves. It feels like sometimes, at least kind of the vibe I get sometimes from from kids that have just graduated high or graduated college, sometimes there's an attitude of, oh, I'm done. Exactly. No more education for yeah. me. And then you see them get into the job market three to five years. And then all of a sudden, now there's a lot of self-education going on. Yeah. And they, it's, they realize, okay, like this degree got me the job, but it didn't get me to where I needed to be within the job. Right, right. The studies that we've done on the future of the workplace are, are show repeatedly that a re-education will be one of the keys to being successful. And it's not just that bachelor's degree or whatever it may be. It's going to be a continuing re-education. And it's not a diploma education. It's a, I'm going to take an online marketing course because I can see my job beginning to get more like this. I'm going to take a basic accounting course because I think this is something that I need to know. 
it's a continuous process of learning new things that may not be right up the alley of the work that you're doing, but is going to give you the ability to spread out as your career or, goes. Or provide value. to Provide to, new value. You know, I agree. I mean, we're, we're right now, I was telling Cam before we got on, got on the air, are hiring for a executive assistant slash CSR, and the person who is the leader in the clubhouse right now, as long as they show up to the interview sober. <laughs> it's amazing. It's has, amazing how many times I hear things like that. Has a marketing background. Yeah. So as an employer, I see a value add of somebody who not only has a lot of great skills that can fit the position we're hiring, but do some extra stuff too. Yeah, I agree. I think there's, and that's something I continue to try to tell my kids. And, and they're young, right? They're high school. But that breadth of expertise, that breadth of exposure, it may look like a pain in the tail for you because you want to go out with your friends or whatever on the weekend, but it's really going to come a, become a differentiator down the road. Now, when I was my kid's age and my parents were giving me advice, I would roll my eyes and leave the room and say, you guys don't get it. That's the way that it used to be. Things are different now. I would say, uh, no, this is the way it's going to be to my kids. This is the way. It's not just me that's saying this, your grumpy father that's telling you to go back and study some more. This is what the tea leaves are showing, and I fully believe it to be the case. What, yeah. What are your thoughts on this news recently about Google trying to disrupt the college degree? Have you seen that? I saw the headline. I've not read the article. Tell me about it. So they are coming out. Have you read it, Scott? No. So Google is is launching a series of online certificates that take about, I think it was either six weeks or six months. I think it was six months. I think it was six months to complete things in the area of, um, I think, like coding type stuff, things digitally, obviously. And their plan, or at least according to the media, their plan is to disrupt the college degree, which, to be honest, I mean, you're talking about one of the most, if not the most powerful organizations in the world um, that can literally control people's thoughts through their search results have a real shot at doing that. And the cost that I've seen, the cost in the article I read was $49 a month. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. So based on that information, what are your thoughts? Uh, what are the subject matters that they're teaching? It was very vague. Yeah. Um, I'll pull the article up. I will pretend like I'm Jamie from Joe Rogan and pull it up real quick. Yeah. I'm curious. I There have been, I saw an article, television show or something not long ago. And the guy said, a college degree has three pieces of value to it. Number one is the affiliation with the institution. Number two is the, the collegiality that you get going to school and meeting the people and sitting with them and socializing outside of the school. And number three is the interaction with the instructor. Well, two of those three aren't available in many colleges exactly. right now. And uh, the guy went on to say, it's a, the fact that colleges are charging what they're charging for missing two out of these three experiences, he's. I think I wish I remembered his quote. It's not. A, it was not a question of common sense. It's a question of stupidity. Yeah, something like that. I agree. What value are you adding if everything's got to be online? Yes. You know? So here's the article. It says Google Google made waves recently by announcing its new program, Google Career Certificates, collection of courses designed to help participants get qualifications in high paying, high growth job fields without attending a university. The courses should take six months to complete and will cost a fraction of a traditional college education. Yeah. My computer is freezing at the absolute worst time. I will get to what you asked in a second. Well, I think uh, to ask your question, what do I think about it? There is no other industry, if you call it that. 
I, I imagine there are, but off the top of my head right now, there's no other industry more ripe for disruption than colleges and universities based on mm-hmm. what they're charging and the value of their degree. And it's a inverse proportion or inverse ratio. So yeah, it's right for disruption. And Google is, if you're going to ask who, if you're going to ask anybody who's available to disrupt right now, I would go ask Google. (laughs) And then I would say, what would you do? And we're seeing what they would do. Many Many readers express concern that not enough employers would value Google's certificate program. This is hilarious. One even described the program as a money racket. But many have already done. It's true. The key to Google's program is gaining traction for other companies to follow their lead. Many have already done so. For example, Google established a group of over 50 employers who can tap into graduates of Google's certificate program, inviting graduates to share their information directly with said employers. So far, those participating include Walmart, Intel, Sprint, Bank of America, PNC, Best Buy, H&R Block, Hulu, don't know how to pronounce that one and Sam's Club. Yeah, those are legit companies. Yeah, those are those are not uh, fly by night. They're not fly. That was about the term I was about to use. Yeah, and and I I would suspect that Google, who has always complained, particularly recently over the past four or five years, that we can't get enough technology engineers in here. We can't get enough coders, and they were very involved in the immigration debate. Maybe they've said, "Well, let's take care of this ourselves. Mm-hmm. Let's take care of it ourselves." And you know, the person that described it as a money grab, I don't think Google's hurting. They're not coming up with a new way to generate some profit right now. They're doing okay. My suspicion is they said, we need these people. Let's figure out how to wait, a way to solve the problem ourselves. Correct. Hey, guys, it's Bradley with the Insurance Guys podcast here. I know I'm interrupting your podcast listening experience right now, but I have a very important message for you. No singular individual has done more for the Insurance Guys podcast than the man himself, Mr. Chris Paradiso. And as you may or may not know, uh, Chris releases a magazine once a year called Be the Last Agent Standing that is a phenomenal resource for the industry. Guys, you do not, I repeat, you do not want to miss this year's issue. It features some fantastic articles from people like Ryan Hanley, Bob McCool, and even myself. And if you want to get your hands on a copy before they're all gone, Text the word magazine to 251-237-9383. That's 251-237-9383. We will send you the link to purchase your magazine. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, Cam. Yo, man. Over the past three years, especially over the past 12 to 24 months, we've seen a influx in social media influencers talk about in today's world, they wouldn't go to college unless they had a specific, you know, professional designation that they wanted, doctor, lawyer, accountant, those types of things. I I assume that based on your research, and I've got two stepkids. One is uh, 19. He is going to a 24-month program in Nashville to be a videographer instead of going to traditional college. I have a 17-year-old stepdaughter who wants to be a, a, a photographer. So she's going to be going to more of a photography school uh, for that. But what is your opinion on a lot of this drumbeat that you hear from social media influencers 
about, you know, hey, if you're just going to college to go to college, just don't go. Don't don't rack up the student debt. I'm going to give you my opinion, and I don't have data to support that. Well, here's some data to support this. One of the things that I said as we began is we're going to see, I predict, a big gap between the haves and the have-nots based on education. And the measurement that was utilized in the data was a bachelor's degree. So okay. we see, So there's one thing. The bachelor's degree or more in terms of education – are going to be on the haves side. What I don't know from the data is, do they consider the videographer a type of bachelor's degree? I'm un, I'm un, I don't know the answer to that. I am very biased in this, and it's not good. I don't come at this with a level head because my college experience was part of the most, I would say, defining years of my life. And it got me ready for everything that else that's happened since. It wasn't only the education. It was the ability to meet people, to learn things about them, to learn to get along with people, to learn uh, to listen to their stories from different parts of the world. And while I was going through this, I never saw it happening that way. That's not the terminology I was using. But it exposed me to people from different walks of life that uh, remain friends to this day and got me to think differently about the world around me. When I went to Tulane, I went from Mobile to Tulane over in New Orleans. New Orleans and, and Tulane attracted people from all over the world. So I was two hours away from home, whatever the distance is, but in a completely different place. And the people that I met were from different parts of the world, and I remained friends with them again. So uh, to this day, it wasn't just about the education. There's more to it than the education, at least there was for me. And there's a lot of it was the socializing aspect of learning to meet and new people. And, and this is something my wife and I have talked about, perhaps off the rail for what we're talking about here. It's hard to learn to make friends. And if you don't go to college and hang out with the same people that you've always hanged out, uh, hung out with, you've never had to learn to make friends. But when you're thrown into an environment like I was, and I say thrown, I, I went there, I wanted to go there, where I didn't know but a very small handful of people, you're forced to learn how to make friends. And that's hard. But it's a skill that I have relied on ever since then. I can make friends. I can learn how to be a friend and make friends when I go into an unfamiliar environment. Around my town here, which I love, Mobile, Alabama, there are a lot of people that went up to Alabama or Auburn or uh, a local place, and they essentially moved their zip code to the university. They didn't have to make new friends. And I see that today in their behavior. And they're great friends of mine, but I see that. The art of learning to meet people and make friends in an environment where you know no one is invaluable. And that's one of the things, the socialization things that I learned in college. So do the social media influencers. I hear you. I get it. I think there's value in it. Now, I'm not saying that going to uh, a, you know, a Zoom class is the same. It's not. I wouldn't pay for that. I wouldn't pay 50 grand or whatever a college may cost right now. Uh, to get a Zoom degree from any university because that, that socialization component is missing. For me, it was very important. So I've got the certificates here. It's a data analyst, project manager, UX designer, user experience designer, IT support specialist. Those are the ones that they're going to be offering now. Yeah. And below, it's got a description, and below it, it's got the medium median at annual wage for each. I would suspect that those are the jobs that are in demand now and will only increase in demand going forward. Probably. Yeah. Probably. For anybody wondering, it's grow.google slash certificates is the website. So Cam, could I make the argument that the things that you just mentioned that you learned at Tulane 
could could be also learned by joining the military at 18 Ooh, years old? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when I first got into my work, people were um, afraid to hire military because they they feared the leadership design of the military. They teach you how to lead. They teach you how to, they teach those fundamental leadership skills. The employers were afraid to hire them because they felt that people were going to come in and slowly begin to take over the workplace. Today, employers are fighting over people with a military background. And I completely agree with you that stepping into the military teaches those same skills. Absolutely. In fact, even better skills, even more skills. There's you go through that process and you come out a, a changed person. And that's one of the questions I get. Well, Cam, I'm a generation X or I'm a this, I'm a that. What do I need to know? I say the exceptions to the rule, and there are generally five of them, is anybody with a military background has all these generational preferences that I've just taught you pushed out. Mm-hmm. You learn a different hierarchy. You learn a different order. And your preferences as a millennial or a generation X are, are suddenly set aside. It's a it's a way of learning, and you know this better than me, chain of command, uh, responsibility, duty, thoroughness, all these characteristics and these attributes that have always been valuable in the workplace are taught in spades in the military. So, man, I agree with you 7,000%. So let me talk to these insurance agents for a second. I want to ask you a very important question. I'm hearing this question or statement probably three times a week from different insurance agents who are out there trying to hire people within their agency and more of a support role. The thing that I keep hearing over and over again is we can't hire anybody right now because people are literally making more money staying at home, I guess from unemployment from both the state and federal government right now than they would be if, say, Bradley and I hired them in kind of a, a starting role with our agency, do you have any thoughts or data on anything like that? I have heard your same complaints. I've heard them uh, everywhere. I don't have any data on that, but I suspect that is a very real challenge going on in many different places. So I don't have any data on that, but I suspect that that's probably the case. And it's a big challenge. It's a really big challenge. Yeah, I wish I could say it's going to be over, or if you say this, things will change, or by this date, things will change. No, it's a real frustration that everybody's facing right now. Talk a little bit about, and and I this is a loaded, not a loaded question, but a design question, because I talked to one of your friends yesterday. I, I only have one, so you talk to him. Talk about the impact of the lack of religion. Oh my gosh, we don't have enough time. <laughs> Talk about your theory on that. <laughs> so here we go. And I was I was thinking about this as you guys were asking that question. So it's a theory. I like it because it's my theory. Okay. I, I'm biased towards my own. There's a segment of the population out there that when they do the census call are called the nuns, spelled N-O-N-E, none. And the term comes from their answer to the question on the Census Bureau, what religion do you affiliate with? And it lists all the different religions. And one of the opportunities to check the box is none. We've seen an extraordinary rise of the nuns in our lifetime, people that don't affiliate with any religion. And the rise of the nuns, and it's about 20 some odd percent of our total population in the millennial generation is well over 30% right now. And Gen Z coming behind the millennials is going to be even higher. So let's take that as the part of the argument, part A. 
Part B is this. I think for at least 20,000 years, and I say that because the caves of uh, France, they had all these paintings on the wall that seemed to worship something. People have needed a religion. They've needed a god. They've needed something to, uh, to work for on earth so that their afterlife would be blessed. So it, it could be a pagan religion. It could be Catholicism, you name it, Hindu, whatever it may be. And in the Middle Age, generally, people ask the question, is this all there is? What, have I, what am I working so hard for? Is this all there is? What am I missing? I feel like there's a hole in my life. I don't know what it is. And throughout history, religion has filled that hole. Yes, you've gotten to this point. You're going to take your vision quest, as they may have said in the Native Americans. Yes, you've gotten to this point. We're going to give you, you're going to go through confirmation now or something like that in the Christian tradition. Or we're going to put you in a, a class of some sort. When you don't have the religion to fall back on, as a fundamental part of your life, you've been raised without an affiliation with religion, that hole in your whatever, that hole in your life, you find a way to fill it. It doesn't go away. It's a part of human nature, I think, and you find a way to fill it. And today, I believe, here's the theory, that people that have been raised as quote-unquote nuns are finding so many of these social movements that have gotten a lot of attention to these days to fill it. The Black Lives Matter, the environmental movement, the pro-life, pro-choice, you can name them. There's 131 different active social movements in this nation right now. And the people who, in my opinion, are gravitating towards them are the ones that have, that have as my wife calls, a God-shaped hole and says, I got to figure out what this is all for. And I'm all in on pro-life. I'm all in on pro-choice. I'm all in on the Republican Party. I'm all in on whatever. And they go after this with gusto, just like people have historically said, I've got to figure out my purpose in this world, and religion fills the hole. Today, it's a lot of the movements, is my theory. So I think it creates an opportunity for your agents who are employing, all right? So let's take this. If, if we agree to this thing, that a religion is a fundamental desire, or there's a hole in our life that t typically uh, develops, and we got to find a way to fill it. And there's this extraordinary population in our nation right now with that hole. What does this mean to you? And there's, here's how we try to put the handle on things, right? When you go to the employment marketplace, and let's take away the, the people that are earning more by staying home right now. Let's just pretend like we're not talking about them. That's a okay. valid argument, but for the moment, we're pushing that one off the table. We are going into the marketplace. You're looking for somebody to employ, and you've got to look at this individual, easy for me to say, but difficult to do, and help them fill that hole. In other words, yes, here is your job description. This is what you're going to do during the day. This is the task list that you're going to have, but here's the purpose of it. Here's the true, and the, the, my friend Dan Lyons calls you ennoble the effort. Here's why we're doing this. It's not to create money or to earn money. That's important. We can't do it unless we do earn money. But it's to solve a greater problem in the lives of, our, of the people who we touch. Help them find a purpose. Help them find a purpose. You're helping this individual who we're assuming has what my wife calls a God-shaped hole, and we're going to help them find a purpose by what it is that we do for our customers. And you can't say it once. You say it every day. We ennoble, you ennoble the effort every day. 
They have a need. Your potential employee has a need. You're filling the need by giving them a job and giving them a purpose. And the purpose is much greater than answering the phone before that rings second time, if people do still call anybody anymore, or uh, responding to an email within 24 hours. The purpose is well beyond the job. And you've got to rehearse that, get it right, say it clearly, say it passionately, and say it every day. And you ennoble the effort, and you help them feel, fill this God-shaped hole. I was watching the monitor while Cam was saying that, and I saw the top of Scott's head the whole time because he was writing every word down. Well, that's good. <laughs> now we're getting into corporate uh, you know, agency culture. And as you mentioned, ennoble the effort every day, not once a month, once every six months, and providing a clear and concise purpose for that employee, big picture for the agency itself, why we do what we do while we're here. We had an episode about that four or five weeks ago, which I thought was outstanding. How do these agents come up with that? How do they come up with that purpose, the bigger purpose, the bigger vision, it's a good question. I think the starting point is to ask the customers, what do we do for you? And it's a series of questions. First, what do we do for you? And you have to find a customer, let's say, that's a friend. Who's going to let you ask these questions? What do we do for you? Well, you sell me this, you sell me this. All right, got it. What more do we do? What more do we do? And you dig down until we get into emotional answers. You take away my, you, you alleviate me of my fear, my worries. You give me confidence in the future. You, I'm essentially paying you to worry for me or something like that. We want an emotional reaction from that customer. And we can't do it for one customer. We got to do it for two or three uh, or maybe five until we find the theme. When we find the theme of what it is that you do, and a lot of it may come out in your personality. In other words, the reason I like to work with you, Bradley, is you do this for me. And it has an emotional connection to it. And once you start to get that emotional stuff, that's unique, a signature service, or that's not the right word, a signature style, style thing that you provide them, that becomes the way you ennoble the effort. You then take that information, craft it into a sentence, a phrase, and this is what we do for our customers. This is what they tell us that we do for them. This is the reason I come to work every day is not to answer the phone and it's not to go to lunch with people. It's because I get fulfillment from doing this and I want you to embrace this the same way. And you'll begin to feel this once you begin to interact with our customers. Everybody says this. We're passionate about what we do. But the reason we have this passion is because we do this for our customers, whatever that may be. So you ennoble that effort by something greater than themselves. And one of the other things, and this comes from one of my radio interviews, so it's one of the best that I've been a part of with a leadership guy, is everybody wants to be something, a part of something larger than themselves. It's part of human nature. In fact, that's what religion offers, is you can be something bigger than yourself or a part of something larger than yourself. We ennoble the effort, and in the process, we let them know that they're part of something larger than themselves, whether it's the agency or the whole industry as a benefit to that end user. I dig it. I dig it too. I when I because mainly it's my theory. You know, yeah. I'm very biased about my own theory. There could be somebody that come in and sit down and objectively explain to me why my theory has holes throughout it. We throw them out. I like my theory. <laughs> Never let the truth get in the way of a good theory. That's right. So talk some of this data you have here, and based on some of the insights that you've come up with in your company, you know, how can we as insurance agents 
use this to hire, manage people effectively, and grow our businesses? Well, let's see. A couple of it. Grow the businesses. We're going to learn how. We, we talked about that a little bit. Where do we network if we're targeting the millennials? Where do we network out there? Some of the data that I have here, and you're right, I've got a handful of pages of information, shows a pendulum swing moving towards, and you've probably heard this. I suspect this is not new to you guys. Uh, the influence of the female in purchases decisions in the household, female purchasing power. So we're going to be very careful and deliberate about making sure the female, whether it's a married couple or just the female, whatever it may be, feels very comfortable, confident, respected from you. So historically, and let's say the baby boomer generation, the baby boomer male, let's say, had 65% of the decision-making authority. If he was smart, he listened to his wife in a, in a household. He listened to his wife and, and placated her with smartly. However, when it came down to big financial decisions, he was off in the bottom line. It's moved to, I'm guessing, 51% of the decisions are female-oriented in Generation X. In other words, she has a slightly larger role. But based on education trends, based on the ability to earn and the ability to save, proven history of saving money, which gives her power, the pendulum has moved in the millennial generation well into the millennial female as the decision maker. So what it means is that when you're meeting with a couple, if you are, you make sure she gets eye contact. Even if she doesn't say anything, you make sure she, you ask her, well, how do you feel about this? And notice that word. I'm a big fan of that. Men often, and this is stereotyping, we got to be careful here, but think about it, guys. When you talk to males, they typically, uh, you want to ask them how they think. Men are thinkers. And you're going to find exceptions, but men are thinkers. Here, tell me what you think about this. They're going to tell you what they think. Women are generally, again, I've got to be careful, uh, feelers. Decisions made more on how they feel about something. So my question to her is going to be, to him, it's going to be, what do you think about the proposal, the policy, or how we're doing here? We're going to renew. What do you think about that? To her is, how do you feel about things right now? How do you feel about the way this is going? How do you feel about uh, the way we're managing our relationship with you? So we're going to honor her. We're going to respect her by using the language that she will likely gravitate towards. And she will nod and think for a moment and answer uh, wonderfully well. And then this couple is going to leave your office or you're going to leave their kitchen table and go back into your car. And as soon as you're gone, he is going to ask for her blessing to do business with you. Honey, what'd you think? She's going to say, oh, I liked him. He was very nice. He made me feel comfortable. And he's going to say, good. I thought so too. She may say that guy was a jerk. He never made eye contact with me. All he did was talk to you. I don't like him. He's going to say, that husband's going to say, you know what? I felt the same thing. He is going to repeat whatever she just said. And the business is determined in that moment. So the question to the agents, you're going to see an outsized role in the female decision maker. Make sure she's honored. Ask her think, ask him think questions, ask her feel questions. And make sure, even if she doesn't say a word, that you ask for her opinion. And she may say, I don't really have anything to say, but the fact that you asked is the key. So that's number one. Number two? Number two. I'm not exactly sure how to utilize this, but right now the Generation Xers are the generation looking for most free stuff. It's in the data right here, meaning the PPP loans, the payroll forgiveness, all this kind of stuff. When asked, all the generations were asked, uh, do you like this? The Gen Xers said, yes, we like it and we want more. And that's, that's the antithesis of the way I thought they'd react. So the Xers today, and I think it's because they're in the most expensive chapters of their lives right now, are the ones that are seeking more help from the government right now. 
And like I said, that's interesting. I wasn't expecting to see that. I'm not sure what to do with it. I'm not sure where the opportunity is there. It's good to know. It's important to know. Uh, Again, we talked about where to network with the millennials. And I think in an interview environment or when you find the candidate, going back to what we talked about, we're going to ennoble the effort. We're going to get them excited about what we do, not what the job, the task list is, but the reason for being in the business or the industry right now to keep them engaged and motivated to come to work every day. That's the goal. Yeah. There's likely some... uh, Likely some things, some ideas that I'm stepping over here right now. But at the top of my head, those are the three opportunities going forward. So my wife has, uh, my wife and myself own a commercial building. It's where her office is. And she kind of takes the reins on that. And she's getting quotes right now to get some new duct work put into the building. The ducts in there are too small for the size building it is. Therefore, there's a restriction of air and it gets hot and it's 95,000 degrees right now. Like you said, she's having... AC folks come by and give quotes and had one come by the other day and I want us to talk about what he did wrong. I want you to dissect. So he walks in and it'll be very obvious. He walks in and he says, where's the owner of the building? She was starting to tell him and then he interrupted and said, no wonder it's hot in here. You got a bunch of women working together. Oh man, this is, this is perfect. And this is somebody trying to sell a probably $10,000 job. Yeah, no kidding. This and, is perfect. Uh, so he, he did a couple more things. And this I'm getting this secondhand, obviously. And then uh, at the end of the, the call, she, he, he was, gonna, I guess, going to divulge the numbers and says, okay, well, you know, where's the owner at? And she's like, well, I'm the owner. And he kind of like, yeah, I know, I know you own the business. Like, where, where's the owner of the building at? And she said he had such a hard time mentally getting over the fact that I owned this building. Yes. And anyway, that was kind of the end of it. But I think the, uh, the, the mistakes he made are very clear throughout. And, but think of, the other, think of the opportunity here. Think of the opportunity of the salesperson that knows not to do that. Correct. And to walk into a business, whatever they're selling, and presume that she's the decision maker. And the relationships that can be developed as a result of that and the new business gained as a result of that. That's the guy, frankly, that I go and deliver seminars to. Cam, we can't seem to get along with this next generation. Tell us what's wrong with them. I'm like, man, it ain't them. Correct. It's you. And if you change your attitude around this, there's great opportunity there. Somebody's going to change their attitude as a result and be out there selling duct work, knowing that she is a and just presuming she's the owner and let her tell him she's not let her tell him she's not if she's not and then he's going to come out on the top of that list Mm -hmm. that's amazing i listen to that and think what a huge opportunity with a little knowledge and a small change of behavior what an opportunity and a little self-awareness little a lot of self-awareness that goes a long way i agree so talk about you know we have a lot of folks that listen to this podcast that run events on companies, on carriers. We have carrier CEOs. If somebody wants to get with you about a seminar. CamMarston.com is the website. And what we do is we do a lot of keynotes, workshops, seminars. We go into great detail. I mean, a good bit of the work is a, a, a what I call awareness. Here's how to be aware of who your customer is generationally. And here's three things you can take away from uh, learning about them. And they'll usually in the pre-conference interview, they'll call me and say, all right, our struggle is here, Cam. And I'll say, all right, let me, the goal of the conference or goal of my presentation is to explain who we're talking about then and three ideas that we can take away and immediately implement. We can do that type of stuff uh, fairly well 
particularly the longer we have or the more information we have on the organization. So a lot of conferences and workshops and things like that. We've got a book, The Gen Savvy Financial Advisor. I've got four books. That one's focused on financial services. The other one that I recommend for the workplace is called Generational Insights. It's the best practices that I found over my years of managing people with the generational component in mind. And and love to talk about it. A lot of it is webinars right now. We've recently condensed a four-hour in-person leadership course into a two-hour webinar. And uh, that went surprisingly well. I hate to say that because I was the one that condensed it, but I still came away from it going, dang, that went well. (laughs) I don't know why I developed it as four hours to begin with. That went really well. So if the question is, how do we sell more to this next generation? Or how do young people sell more to older generations? Or how do I lead better, hire better, retain better? We likely can throw together something that will really interest and entertain whoever is in that room, and they will come away with at least two to three new behaviors. Cool. Yeah. Hey, Cam, when you said that the the women that make up the millennial generation are more of the decision makers, the other generations, you gave a percentage. You said, you know, boomers, 65% male, Gen X, 51%. Do you have a number of millennial females that are making the, say they're married, they're making the buying decision? My guess is going to be 70% of the decision is in her hands, Woo! but I don't have Woo! data. That, that's my hypothetical data. That's, that's like, this is way I think it's going. And it's based largely on, I think it's 65% of all postgraduate degrees today are being pursued by millennial females. I think there's a couple of the vet schools I talked to recently, they did not have a male graduate from their vet school in the past two or three years. Their ability to save is greater their uh, the female's ability to save is greater. So all these wealth-building attributes are slowly, well, not slowly, are falling into her hands. And why would mentally a female get more excited? You know, there's, the, there's a saying I've learned recently that you'll never be rich until you learn to get as excited about saving money as you do about spending it. Wealthy people invest, poor people consume. I agree. Right. But why would females, specifically millennials or any, even Generation X females, why do they have a gene in them, it seems like, or, or a, a learned behavior that would implement that saving gene in them more so than, than males? They see further into the future. And this, this is me. So first, they see further into the future. Males are knuckle-dragging mouth breathers. I'm one. And uh, uh, spontaneous decisions and what feels good and looks good now is generally something that I, you know, that I react to and my wallet comes out. That would be good to have now. Women generally see further into the future. Secondly, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but nesters, build the nest. I could spend the dollar now or I could save it for something later that may be important. And as nesters, they tend to, it leads to a saving behavior. I don't mean to offend anybody, but goodness knows my household has benefited from my wife's nesting characteristics, particularly when my calendar imploded in March. And I said, what's the savings look like, honey? And she said, we're going to be fine. I'm like, oh my gosh, whoo. I'm so glad I turned the reins over to you back. You know, I, we work together on purchases, but the fact that we have the savings we do is a result of the way, the, the way she's treated it. So I am a I am exactly what I'm talking about right here. 
Cam, thank you so much for coming on the show. I want to thank you both for allowing me to be on the show. It's the world's most famous show. I understand that God listens to this even on on Sundays when he yep. takes his day off. He listens to your podcast. So uh, I, I consider this one of the pinnacles of my career. Well, I don't know what else to say. That's <laughs> pretty all very accurate. He's got some know, wit, Scott. I told you. He's got some wit. Cam wants to throw out objective facts. Who am I to argue? That's, that's right. That's right. So, guys, you learned a lot today. You know, I talk a lot about psychology and insurance, and I think it's something that most agencies don't put enough uh, effort in, is understanding people, understanding personalities, understanding who sells best to what personality type. Uh, we have started in our agency, in fact, I, I hate to say, but kind of segmenting uh, when we see a certain personality type coming down the, the prospect list, sometimes we will actually go one way or the other, depending on what the, the personality type is and feeling like this person may work better with that agent. We do some of that now where we used to just whoever answered the phone first took the, took the sales call. Uh, I think a lot of agencies probably don't put enough emphasis in understanding the different generational types that are out there. And I just, again, Cam, I really appreciate you coming on and kind of shedding some light on that. I think it would really, I think that's, that really helps insurance agents. Happy to do it. I shed so. frequently. <laughs> we need a buzzing. We need like sound effects in the background. <laughs> Dad jokes. <laughs> Dad jokes. So, guys, hey, as I always like to say, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk today and go out into the big, bad world and build relationships. Know who you're talking to. Know who your audience is. And your sales will increase. Your quote-to-bind ratio will increase. And you will make more money for your wife, for your husband. You'll have more money to put in your kid's college fund. And you can help your your parents who are all struggling out there. Write good business for the agencies that you represent and write good business for the companies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love you. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Cam. Happy to be here. Thank you. Cam, we we love you too. And we will see you all back real soon on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at iprotectins at gmail.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to bradleyflowersinsurance.com or email him at bradley at sarahlandinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to being with you again real soon on the next episode of the Insurance Guys. Take care.